Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. Hello, this is GodPod number 71. And um, today we have the home team. We have Michael. Hello. And we have Jane. Hello. And we have myself, Graham Tomlin. Um, I do have to say, I have to confess, that Michael has just burped before we started. <laughs> he had, he had to get that out of the way before we actually went on it's air. It's good to it drop were. your friends in things on air, isn't it? <laughs> your ex-friends, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> it's very good to know that we are human. <laughs> At least Michael is. <laughs> <laughs> did Jesus burp? Discuss. Okay. But did Michael? I think the answer is yes, he did. <laughs> so um, anyway, well, so we're here just the three of us today for uh, GodPod 71. And um, we have a number of good questions as normal, as usual. This, so we're, we're actually recording this one at the end of, uh, in the middle of July. So there'll be a little bit of a break until the next one because uh, we all go on holiday. And come back refreshed. With all kinds of new ideas. New We've ideas. read lots of books. To inflict and, on people. Exactly. <laughs> But uh, we're going to start with um, a couple of questions that are, that are related to one another. And the first one uh, comes, um, was sent in a little while ago, from Alex Boxall. And uh, the question uh, is this. I've got a question to you after one of your God pods in the past. Uh, you discussed that God is the only person who is always in the present. And how we as humans are unable to do this is as soon as we define the present, it is already the past. So if God is simultaneously present at every single point of time, present throughout eternity, is he therefore forever experiencing the pain of dying on the cross? Due to his omnipresence, both physically and chronologically, is he dying for us right now? So that's the question about the, um, what do we mean when we say that God is continually present? He is a continual presence. Does that mean that, and if God is outside time, does that mean that therefore his suffering is eternal? Um, or do we think of it in other ways? So, who wants to have a go at this one? Jane's looking eager start? to yes, start. Yes. <laughs> um, I think the problem is that we're still thinking of present as a time. And we can't do anything else because we are creatures who live in time. So the nearest we can get to the concept of eternity is um, eternal presence. But... But as I say, we're still thinking of that as something that's about time. Mm. Um, and uh, what, I'm, what I would want to argue is that God is not time-bound. And uh, um, clearly Jesus is a, is a historical character whose suffering happened at a particular time in a particular place. And what we, um, what we can definitely say on the basis of that is that that is um, part of the nature of God from all eternity to all eternity. What we don't know is what is quite what that means because we can't think outside time. So no, I would say that God is not eternally suffering, but that oh. suffering is eternally, that, that, that the experience that Jesus had is eternally part of the, the character mm. of the God who reveals himself in Jesus. Does that make sense? So would you say that's therefore part of God's memory? We see again, it's, that's a, a difficult word, isn't it? Because we've only got a human analogies for what a memory is i i think it's um i think it's part of um god's nature that's what the relationship between father son and holy spirit look like played out in time 
and given into our hands in that kind of way. Mm-hmm. And quite what that means in the eternal character of God, eternal nature of God, eternal being of God, is, is beyond our capacities to understand. Um, but we have been given the assurance that God is Christ-like. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean it's it's a very difficult question, isn't it? Because yeah. um, these are not the sorts of questions with which the Old Testament or New Testament writers were, by and large, concerned, no. and therefore they don't give us a lot on this, um, and that makes it quite a difficult one to address. The fact that we are also finite, as you say, Jane, and unable to conceive of something that isn't, makes it also quite difficult, even to address, let alone to. You know, pontificate about. So I think that, that's that's all quite difficult. I, but let's do it anyway. But, well, yes, it never stops <laughs> us. I, I suppose the Don't o- stop the fathers either. So. No. <laughs> I suppose the other thing is, uh, w- let me introduce another problem, uh, make things worse, and then see if there's any analogy between the two. Um, if if one believes that that Jesus took our sin upon himself and our guilt upon himself in some way on the cross what does that mean for the holiness of God Um, is it compromised by that obviously not you don't want to say that the holiness of God is in any way compromised even if it is very in a very real sense that he takes uh, our guilt upon him and therefore something must happen to that guilt as it is taken upon the divine person of Christ uh, it must somehow dissolve on contact. It must somehow be transformed in that process of being taken up into uh, the divine person of, of Jesus. Um, and so maybe something similar happens to human experience generally. Um, that it's that like, like the experience of suffering. It is taken up into the person of Christ. <clears throat> and th- and and is taken up really and experienced really, but nevertheless somehow is transformed in the process, so that it doesn't uh, pollute the person mm. of God. Is that so? It's not an ongoing experience of suffering, so that he still at this very moment is experiencing the same pain of the cross. Exactly. Exactly. Which is why one of the fathers, and I I cannot remember which of the Gregories it was, I think it was Nadzianzen, says, I I think helpfully, that that the Son of God suffers impassibly. Hmm. It's trying to bring out that complete contradiction uh, of our language Hmm. to talk about what's Hmm. actually going on. So we know that that Jesus really suffers, but we don't know what suffering means in a divine Hmm. nature. And of course, the the early fathers, when they did talk about the sufferings of Christ, usually made a distinction in saying that he had suffered in his human nature, but not in his divine nature. And uh, that was, in some ways, their way of, if you like, um, preserving divinity from suffering, but allowing the Son of God to have suffered. Now, that raises all kinds of other questions. Um, which we've been into before in this circle, is that to what extent God suffers? And I know we have different views <laughs> on that. We could revert, rehearse those too. But I think it's a quite in- interesting approach because, of course, especially if you take um, uh, a kind of Christology which which emphasizes the, the oneness of Christ's human and divine nature, that they're not two separate things that you can you know, entirely distinguish. So you can just say 
the humanity suffers and the divinity is not at all touched by that. Um, I think what they're trying to say is that is that yes, Christ suffers in his human nature in a way that does not affect the Father. That would be to to stray into the Patropassian heresy, which has always been uh, uh, the heresy, the idea that the Father does not share in the suffering of the Son in the same way that the Son suffers. Um, but that also, um, yes, the suffering of Christ is, is, is located in his human nature. But if you see that human nature and that divine nature as being joined together in the incarnation, um, we can still say at the same time that God is not a stranger to suffering, that, that, that God in the incarnation tastes suffering. And I quite like that language. I think it's the language of the book of Hebrews that he has tasted suffering for us. It's not, it's not a, he's not a complete stranger to suffering, but he somehow overcomes it. It doesn't sort of define him in the kind of way that you're talking about, Mike. I, I think that's right. <clears throat> I mean, of course, the New Testament also talks about other persons of the Trinity, you know, do not grieve the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit of God, um, suggests that the Holy Spirit of God can and is, can be and is grieved at mm-hmm. sin, for instance, mm-hmm. and yet in a way that, again, defines God by his holiness and his compassion, mm-hmm. but not by his, by his, continuing suffering yeah. uh, and we're groping for language here aren't yeah, we and that's absolutely. part of the problem but I think pastorally it's, it's a really important question because because we we are able to say on the basis of the New Testament witness that um, that God does understand suffering mm-hmm. and is present with us um, in a very particular mm-hmm. kind of way through that understanding mm-hmm. but we also can say that God has overcome it mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so God isn't just sitting there thinking, saying to us, oh, this hurts me as much as it hurts you. Um, this is something yeah. that God has entered into yeah. as divine as, yeah. as, and everything, you know, the, the divineness of God overcomes. And in a sense that suffering is not eternal. Exactly. It's not inevitable, always present, and it will always be there even when the new heavens and the new earth come. I think there's something about saying that Christ suffered for a time um, and in the kind of way we've been talking about, even though we're struggling to find the language to express it, that, um, that God is eternal, suffering is not. There will come a day when suffering is no longer, mm. when every tear will be wiped away and so on, as which is the vision of the book of Revelation. And I think that's, that's a very important thing to say, yeah. that, that suffering is a temporal thing. It is something that is temporary and will come to an end. And, and I think that's the other corollary of saying that, that God continually suffers it brings suffering into eternity in a way that makes it almost as eternal as yeah. God and doesn't give us any hope that our suffering will one day come to an end. And I think one can say that that time is real for God in the sense that he is committed to his creation. Uh, he is with his creation. He is in his creation. And therefore, he, su- he experiences it with us, um, but in a way that... Uh, he he's not constrained by mm. he chooses to do it mm. um and he chooses to experience it as we experience it but that is not the limit of his yep. of his life and his being so quite quite a complicated answer to the question but a very can interesting I, question can i just recommend a novel because mm. i do like to do my theology through novels where possible there's a very beautiful novel by somebody called helen waddell which was written quite a long time ago and it's called peter abelard 
Um, and mm. uh, Abelard was one of the theologians, the medieval theologians, who explored the Patripassian heresy, whether or not God the Father mm. suffers. And this is beautifully depicted in this novel. So uh, anybody who'd like to have a read of that and get back to us, we'll look forward to hearing from Very good. Thank you, Jane. And, um, well, the next question is uh, related to it. In some ways, comes from the other side of this argument. This is an um, email from Andrew McLean who uh, asked a question relating to uh, what's called an open theology. Um, and he describes a conversation he had with a, a friend uh, a little while ago who explained that he described himself as an open theologian and explained that he didn't, did not believe that God was outside time or that God knew what would happen fully in the future. And um, that seems to tie up with bits in the scriptures where it seems that God changes his mind and um, seems to free God from being blameless and omnipotent and so on. So, uh, but uh, Andrew um, responded by saying that this fits a bit uneasily with him and asks us the question, what do we think? Do any of our esteemed panel, that's what we are apparently. Which ones are those? (laughs) (laughs) They're the ones who aren't here today. Um, Do we have views on this and uh, how would it affect our relationship with God if it's true? So is God outside time? Um, how do we explain those bits of the Bible where it seems to seem seems to say that God changes His mind in interaction with people? I I, I want to defend open theism up to a point. Um, I think, uh, for instance, the fact that it says that, the, that God doesn't know the future is not actually a is not to say He's not omniscient, um, because omniscience means that God knows everything there is to know. What the open theist says is that the future is not there to be known. So God doesn't know it because it hasn't happened yet. So he can't know it. That's not a constriction of his omniscience. It's just a statement about what there is to be known. Uh, so I don't think it, it compromises God's omnipotent, or omniscience. Um, and one of the things uh, that um, Andrew also says in his question is uh, the picture of God looking vaguely into the future with a hopeful shrug doesn't seem coherent with a God who has plans to prosper, not to harm, and who declen- declares the end from the beginning. I-, I think a hopeful shrug is unfair to open theism. Um, it's probably fair of process theology, but that's something rather different. Mm. Um, God retains in process in, in open th- theism. God retains ownership of all power and he can call it back in so it's not that he hopes the future will turn out okay he knows it will turn out okay because he is the source and the owner of all power he's lent loaned it out he respects the use that creatures make of the freedom that he's given them and the power that he's given them but uh, and he doesn't in the meantime control that but he can guarantee that the end will be um, a hopeful one and, and again, it's, it is this confusion about time, isn't it? That's part of the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think one of the things um, that I would want to support about open theism is, is that uh, if God does know the future, the, what is our future, because we haven't yet lived through it, uh, and so, so he might know it because if all time is already in some sense complete in eternity. But so, so there's, that's what the time issue is. But if the problem is that uh, if you think God knows the future, that means you think that God um, has in some sense already made you do what you think you're freely doing, then I would have theological problems with that. I don't think God um, makes us do things. Mm. 
but 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 I think I'm otherwise um, quite a closed theologian. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say you were, Jane. Yeah. <laughs> In that I do think that that time and living sequentially through time is part of being a created being, and that therefore all our ways in which we think about how God might or might not. Uh, relate to time can at the very best be analogies we don't we don't understand god's relationship to time yeah i think i've I've probably used this um illustration before on some god pod somewhere in the past although maybe god pods are outside time so (laughs) they're just virtual (laughs) exactly but um but i think it's augustine in i think in the confessions uses the image of a of a poem where uh, if you if you know a poem by heart, you have that entire poem in your your head. Uh, it's present, all of it is in, is present in in your head. And you know he's talking about an age where people did remember and recite poetry. Um, so in other words, all of the poem is in your is in your head. But when you recite it, you recite it line by line, word mm-hmm. by word. And uh, it's a way of him trying to describe the way in which all of history, present and past, is present in the mind of God. And yet as it's experienced, it is experienced moment by moment and, and, and line by line by us. Um, so that's... that's Yes, I have, a, I have a problem with that, I think. Because to say that the whole poem is in God's head and then we just experience it bit by bit suggests it's already written. And I think I, I think I go along with the open theist to the extent of saying I'm not sure it is all written because that would say actually the only person who could have written it is God because we hmm. have, you know have not yet done it we who live within that sequential time have not yet made those decisions hmm. so if it already exists as a written poem what what more can I contribute do I do I have any freedom to contribute um, and and does that mean that God has written the suffering in? So I have some real problems. But that's because you're using, you're pushing the analogy too far, Mike. Okay. <laughs> exactly. Not that we're ganging up on you here, Mike. No, no, no. Well, I... um, because again, you're um, you're assuming that that God has lived through it and finished it, and and it's again this impossibility of imagining what it's like to be outside time, isn't it? And and I think we need to say truth that the truthfully that what we experience is real yes uh, and that the freedom we are, we're given is real yes and that god hasn't actually imposed a plan on us and mm-hmm. we're not puppets in that um we we have genuine cooperative freedom to uh, work with god or or not with god um but that for god god lives outside the sequence of what has happened i'm, I'm in a way that happy they... with that but 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 so what is this poem in the mind of God that we then live out? But this is, this is an analogy about how something yeah. can both be completed yeah. and said sequentially. But in what way is it completed? That's, and why but do we see, want to I say that it's I think you're focusing on the wrong bit of it. Mm. Because an, what Augustine is trying to do is trying to, trying to get some kind of analogy for this really difficult discussion mm. that we keep having about time and eternity. How things can be both sequential and complete. Okay. It seems to me there's another, another way of, uh, of reading the, the image, which is to say... Um, that in a sense, the poem as it as it is written, as it emerges, um, and you can imagine forms of poetry writing that are like this, that actually the the actual phrasing, the actual wording of the poem emerges as it right. is written, yes, as it is done in in if you like the the theme of it, the direction of it, the overall structure of it is 
fixed. But actually, we are able in some way in our interaction with God to shape the actual um, imagery, the actual specific vocabulary and wording of that poem as, as it emerges. Because it seems to me that, you know, I, I think I do want to hold on to the sovereignty of God in the sense that that the future is ultimately not in doubt as to where history ends uh-huh. up, uh-huh. where our world is, is, is heading. Um, we're not in suspense as to what that's going to be. Um, there will be a new heaven and the new, new yep, earth. But yep, yep. the exact shape of that, I think it's still reasonable to assume that that, that is still to be determined. Um, the overall structure of it, the direction of it is not still to be determined because we know that a bit like the poem, the theme, the, you know, the, 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 yes. um, the overall direction of it. But we can, as it were, as the poem is is both read out and constructed at the same time. And you can imagine an interactive process of writing of poetry, yes. which means we can play a part in being involved in that. Well, like like you know, an Im- improvised piece of jazz where the yep. chord sequence is roughly set, sure. but you can weave yep. stuff in and out of it. But, yep. And put like that, I don't have any problem with it, and I don't think an open theist would have any problem with it. And um, I, think, I, I don't think Augustine would either, in the sense that it seems to me that I think, as Jane says, you know, the main point of the analogy is not actually to say anything particularly about you know God's micromanagement of history. It's about trying to understand how all how present and future can be can be present in the mind of God and experienced moment by well, moment by us. But but you see, I, I, that is precisely what the open theist would want to question: whether the future is there in the mind of God, and 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 I would probably would might join forces with them. Um, Except in its outline, if you're saying the outline, mm. uh, new heavens, new earth, bit of the future mm. is there in the mind of God, fine. I don't have a problem with that. But if you say the detailed, but in some ways more, yeah, I mean, the detailed choices and decisions that my grandchildren will make, yeah, yeah, um, but then, then I have more of a problem with that. But why do you? I don't understand that because when you look back and uh, you can look back on your detailed choices and decisions that you've made in your lifetime. Mm-hmm without the fact that you now look back on them determining what you did so if i can't see if if i can't see what the problem is if god is outside time god knowing in some sense the wholeness of time doesn't make it happen it just means that he, it like like you looking back on your past doesn't make it happen no i think i think that that's probably right that that foreknowledge wouldn't imply foreordination on the other hand, it would mean that our experience of sequence is is profoundly mistaken in a way that I think... Why would it? Because we have a sense that um, we live through time, that decisions happen in that kind of process, in that kind of sequence, that there's some reality to that. If, in mm-hmm. fact... God knows, and I know the word now is a difficult word in the context, but knows now what's to us a future uh, and and open thing, um, then our experience is, is contradicted by, I think, the, the, the uh, presence of God, the knowledge of, of these things to God. Why, 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 do you want to, why do you want to say it? Because That's otherwise, because otherwise you're—I think it's a, a really fundamental theological point. Because otherwise, you're assuming that God is um, defined by something that is part of creation. Time is part of 
the physical world. And and you would then be saying that time pre-exists creation if it's part of... I, I don't think one would. I, I want to say I think that God is in all time frames rather than we who are just in one. Um, and he's not bound to them. But to s that's slightly different, I think, from saying that the future is known to him and is even though he's in, in it he, i mean i suspect this is i suspect this is a problem of uh, about yes, language I suspect again, isn't it? It is. um but can you not see that there are some dangers in the language well both kinds of language actually i think well, there again, are dangers in both kinds yes, yes. I mean, and we are like in the last question with all of these groping to find language yes. to express um, something quite profound, which is what all theology always does. Mm. And that's why theology is always a slightly penultimate science, because it's always trying to describe something which is, in a sense, beyond it. But we have to use words to, to, to do that. But, um, and yes, there, there are, you know, we can see on both sides of this debate, there are, there's the danger of both that sense of God micromanaging every single moment yep. of our mm. life and, yep. and, and our freedom to be entirely illusory. Uh, on the other side, uh, there's the sort of um, fear of of, uh, of a God who is subsumed within creation yes. and therefore ultimately not yes. a God we can totally hope in or trust in ultimately uh, to, to bring about his purposes within the world. And, and that's where we are with it. None of us would agree with either of those. Exactly, yeah. yeah. We're trying to find language that expresses it in the way. It yep create some space within yes. um, with language that's really yeah. un unhelpful. In a way that so often theology does, it yeah. seems to me, that, that, that yes. so often big theological problems are not things that you finally resolve. They're things that you can shed a little bit of light on. Yes. I mean, I, in the comparison, I guess, would be something like the great Christological just debates in the early church where you had one side, um, you know, that, that Christ is not really human, um, on the other side, and he's totally divine. On the other side, that he is just a human being, a kind of Aryan heresy. Yes. And in a way, what the Council of Chalcedon does at the end of the day is to say, well, it's not that, it's not that, it's somewhere in the middle here. But we can't exactly define yeah, what. Exactly, yeah. you know. Yeah. So um, it is quite helpful, isn't it, to see what's wrong with each of these positions, yeah. Yeah, what exactly. the dangers are. Of what the dangers position. are, yeah. I think yeah. that's right. The and, and then you, you come back, don't you, to the incarnation where God has absolutely affirmed um, the importance and reality of a human existence lived through time. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, whatever it is we're trying to say, we want to say it, that that's where we start from. Yes. We know that, that to live as a human being in a body through time is absolutely affirmed by God. And that you never step off the undergirding, irradiating presence of God. Exactly. Well, having... <laughs> cantered around those <laughs> tiny little issues yes. of the philosophical God pod today I think we've come to the end of our time so um, thank you very much for listening those of you who have done got this far with our musings and um, we'll be back with God pod 72 before too long so um, uh, it's goodbye from me Graham uh, and from me Jane oh it's like two Ronnies isn't it or three Ronnies <laughs> in this case um, but goodbye from me as well that was God pod a podcast from the St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.